If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Well, it is good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you coming here. It's good to see Cindy back with us. She's been... Uh, she's in the process of moving and trying to find somewhere, and so uh, we're glad that she's with us today. Dr. M. R. DeHaan, he was a physician, died around 1965, uh, born in the late 1800s, turned theologian. He observed this about the Bible. He said, the Bible is a book of blood, wholly distinct from all other books for just one reason. Namely, that it contains blood circulating through every page and in every verse. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the stream of blood. Now, Dr. Han had some views on Christ's kingdom we would not agree with, but he was not wrong in every observation he made, and he was right in this observation. He correctly described the Bible as a book about blood. Almost from the very beginning, in fact, Acts chapter, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, we see the first couple uh, committing sin against God and His having to uh, kill an animal to harvest the skins to make clothing for them. We see that the Bible is a portrait of redemption through blood to all who would come to God on His terms and in obedience uh, in response to humanity's sins, He has offered us grace. The very first ten verses of our chapter today talks about the uh, uh, Old Testament system of sacrifice. It talks about the purpose of the high priest going into the holiest of holies and offering that blood once a year for the sins of the people. Uh, It speaks of a time when... uh, That blood had to be offered by the high priest, by someone else on behalf of the people. It talks of a time when those sins could not be completely forgiven. They were simply rolled ahead for a year and then next year came around and the same thing had to happen. And all those animal sacrifices, even beginning with the patriarchs through the law of Moses, none of them could destroy sin. None of them could take sin out of the way and as if it had never happened. It took something else, didn't it? It took a much greater sacrifice. In fact, those sacrifices 
pointed to a sacrifice that would come uh, at the appropriate time in history, Galatians 4, 4, and it would be the final sacrifice to sin. But those animal sacrifices, all of that blood, no telling how many animals were sacrificed on behalf of uh, people, no telling how many gallon after gallon of blood was spilled upon the altar, and yet sin still existed in the lives of those people and they could not be forgiven. Not only was it symbolic, those sacrifices, symbolic in pointing towards something, they never saved a single person. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And if we went over into the next chapter, Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, we, we read about how they were remembered year after year. Isn't that awful? Understanding that you have sin and that it is sin that separates us from God. And if we have that sin in our lives, that we can't have the proper covenant relationship with God and knowing every single year those sins would be remembered, never forgotten. Now, let us not understand. Those sacrifices were absolutely necessary. Under those laws, under the patriarchal dispensation, under the law of Moses dispensation, uh, God's laws during those periods of times required that an animal sacrifice be offered. And if that was not done, a person could not stand justified in the sight of God. But just like Abraham, those sacrifices led to righteousness being placed on his account. And then when the Christ came along at the appropriate time in history, and he lived a perfect life, he died a terrible death, he rose from the grave, and his shedding of blood flowed backward just as it flows forward from the cross today. And his blood forgave eternally those who were found faithful under those particular laws. Now our passage this morning explains those very truths. And it pictures Jesus' blood as a priceless gift from God. The title of uh, the sermon this morning is Understanding Why Jesus' Blood is Priceless. We need to consider Jesus' blood. We need to consider it more and more. I think we probably do not consider it nearly as much as we ought to. Everything we do hinges on the blood that He shed willingly on our behalf, and we need to honor that and keep it foremost in our minds. Now, the writer of Hebrews described for us the impossibility of salvation apart from Christ's blood that He shed for us. Again, not just for those living during the Christian dispensation over the past 2,000 years, but those who lived during the time of Adam, during the time of Moses. Those men and women who were patriarchs and who were uh, Jews under the law of Moses, they had to have Christ's blood too. And everything they did pointed toward Christ coming and shedding His blood. Genesis 3.15, the first veiled promise. I believe of Christ coming into the world and he, as He is punishing the serpent for beguiling the woman and, and for Adam sinning as well, He said that you'll bruise His heel, but then He will crush your head. It was the death blow that Christ delivered to Satan when He came up out of the grave on the cross. And Satan understands that now. When Christ shed His blood, 
It cleansed all the people who have ever been faithful followers of God under whatever law they lived because of their obedience. Faith through obedience. I think it's wise and uh, to regularly remind ourselves exactly what Christ's blood does for us. Exactly why it is priceless. For us to honor the act, and maybe if we do that, we're able to look into our own lives and say, because of what Jesus did for me, I'm able to do this. I'm able to control the, the inclinations I have in this life. I'm able to control aspects of my life because the Christian life is a life of self-control after all, isn't it? It's a life of dedication to God because of what God did for us. John said that we love God because He first loved us. We ought to allow that knowledge to affect our lives in such a way that we can affect our own behaviors. I believe if we allowed the real, brutal, and deadly sacrifice of Jesus to be forefront in our minds, it would become easier and easier to live in this world in a way that pleases God. Understanding why Jesus' blood is priceless is something we should consider. I want us to notice this morning Our first point will be, Jesus' blood is priceless because of what it purchased. What it purchased. The writer of Hebrews explained that the blood was shed was His own blood, right? He purchased something in a very personal way. That made it personal, didn't it? He wasn't offering the blood of an animal. The high priest would go into the tabernacle or into the temple, and he would go into the holies of holy, and he would go through that curtain that he was only allowed to pass through one time a year, and he would offer upon that mercy seat blood before God for all the people. Jesus didn't do that, did He? He is our high priest, the writer of Hebrews says, and He went into the holiest of holies one time, and He offered His personal blood. We ought to consider that, shouldn't we? The Old Testament sacrifices couldn't save us because an animal can't choose to give his life for someone he loves. An animal can't choose to live a perfect, sinless life because animals do not commit sin. Animals are two-part beings. They have a life force and and they have a body. They don't have an eternal spirit. They don't have a, a soul that will live in uh, heaven or live in hell eternally. An animal is simply a brute beast. And Paul talked about that often. When the first couple introduced sin into the world, there had to be a plan for that. There had to be something that that would follow. And unfortunately, the example that Adam and Eve set was followed and is followed today. So God had to make a plan for that. Of course, Hebrew or uh, Ephesians 3 verse 11 talks about the eternal purpose of God. And God purposed in Christ Jesus for the advent of sin coming into the world and people making choices to sin. But it took the sacrifice of an innocent, of a perfect, of a sinlessly perfect and faithful man to pay the high cost of sin. That's why Jesus' blood is priceless. When He died on the cross, His blood purchased the church of which we can become members, Acts 20, verse 28. The reason that 
the the price of sin is so high is because the punishment for sin is so high. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. God being a righteous and a just God, always doing that which is right, has to keep His word. He has to acknowledge that sin requires death. And that's why for all of those many centuries, people offered animal sacrifice to to account for their sins, but it couldn't take sin away. And every year they had to do it again. And, and throughout the year they offered various sacrifices of different forms. And But that one time a year they had to offer the the sacrifice for all of the people, and it came back over and over again. Jesus' blood is priceless because it took the place of our own blood. He paid our price for sin. All who uh, all sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans three twenty three. All sin requires the penalty of death, Hebrews eleven or Romans six twenty three rather. Yeah, I don't know if. If God's creation can ever fully, completely understand how priceless Christ's blood is. It's hard for us to completely understand because we can't see God. We can't touch God. We didn't live during the time of Jesus. We didn't witness the brutality that cost Him His life. Paul described for us how Jesus left the very glory of heaven, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He came down to an earth, lived among hateful people who took His life all because of His great love. And that's hard for us to fathom that, isn't it? It's hard for us to understand how someone can demonstrate such great love for someone who wants to have Him murdered and did have Him murdered. We can't understand that fully because... We look at things and, uh, of someone wanting to cause great harm to us and it tends to make us overlook that that individual also has a soul, isn't it? When terrible things happen in this world, and we can go all the way back to 2001, September the 11th, when we had a, a terrible terrorist attack upon this nation, radical Islam, destroyed, killed more than 3,000 people. And then we look at that situation, we look around the world and, and we read news clips or we watch videos and they're capturing people from the West or those who claim Christianity and they're brutally cutting their heads off or they capture someone who is in opposition to their beliefs and they set them on fire and burn them alive. And it's very hard for us to reach deep down inside ourselves and say that individual has a soul and I want him to be saved. It kind of goes against our human nature or that which we have trained ourselves to be, doesn't it? But see, Christ's blood is so precious, He could look beyond that and He could see the soul and He wanted that individual to be saved. And so He allowed Himself to be tortured the way in which He was tortured and to give His life in the way in which He gave it. The nails did not keep Him on the cross, His great love for us. When Jesus went to the cross... As the perfect and sinless Lamb of God, His sacrifice was of the character that satisfied the law of God, Isaiah 53, verse 11. Jesus' blood is priceless. It's priceless because of of what it purchased. It was a personal sacrifice that He made on behalf of all people in the world who would obey His commandments. 
but it is also priceless because it is a permanent sacrifice. The writer described Jesus' purchase as one that obtained eternal redemption. Of course, eternal means never-ending. Never-ending redemption. He gave Himself one time on the cross. He doesn't have to go back and, and be murdered and sacrificed again. There's no need for any other sacrifices, and that's why it's priceless. His sacrifice is priceless. The payment has been made. That's what redeemed mean, right? He, he redeemed us. He bought us back. He paid the full price. And of course, again, we go back to Romans chapter 6, and the full price was death because sin, the punishment for sin is death. God has never sinned. He's a righteous, upstanding being. Christ was a righteous, upstanding being. The Spirit, a righteous, upstanding being. And we have to live up to their standards. Understanding that we do sin in this life and because of His great love, He made it so that we could be redeemed with His priceless blood. He paid in full. And that's what He purchased for us in a very permanent way. Now, I think it's very important for us to understand. Just because He paid the price doesn't mean I have to accept the gift. Right? It's eternal redemption if I accept. Someone may want to give us a gift that that is free to us. We pay nothing for it, but that doesn't mean we have to accept the gift, right? Have you ever tried to offer someone a gift and they said, no, 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 wouldn't accept it? Sure we have. We've probably done that ourselves. Someone want to give us something and, and we felt that we could not accept it. You know, I can ignore what Jesus did for me. He purchased something. Very personal, very permanent, but I can ignore it. I cannot accept it, and then I will not benefit from it, right? We have to access that gift, and it has to be accepted on Jesus' terms. Throughout the book of Acts, those men who preached the message of God spoke of the free gift of salvation. Salvation costs us nothing. There's nothing we can do. We can't. We can't work our way into heaven, but we must meet the standards God has set. There are conditions attached to free gifts. All free gifts have conditions attached to them. The first being, I have to accept it. Right? If I want to have a free gift, I have to accept it. Now, someone uh, fills out a will, and they leave behind possessions that they have for their family members, and they will often attach conditions to those gifts. I read one time of a of a very wealthy man who was going to leave the bulk of his inheritance to his son if he married by the age of 30. If he didn't marry by the age of 30, he would not receive that free gift of inheritance. Now, he didn't do a thing to earn that money, but there were conditions attached to it. In his first letter, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 1 verse 2. He said... Uh, he wrote to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. We can become the elect if we choose to be obedient. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. An election is simply choosing something, right? We just went through an election. We went to the ballot and we elected someone and we elected those that we chose 
to elect, right? And so we have to understand what the election is. Jesus' blood is priceless because of what it purchased and because of its permanence. But there's another reason that Jesus' blood is priceless. It is priceless because of its power. That's our second point. His blood is able to cleanse. Notice what the writer said. He said it was able to purge. Now, we don't use that word very often, but purge means to cleanse and free from filth. Gets rid of the dirty. Gets rid of the nasty. Gets rid of the filth. His blood will cleanse the filth away from us spiritually. Now, when we read what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.21, talking about baptism does also now save us. He said it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism does not cleanse us physically. It purges us spiritually, right? He said, but it is the answer of a uh, clear conscience toward God. It gives us a clear conscience. It purges the sins from our spiritual bodies. During the institution of the Lord's Supper, as they were about to drink the the juice that Christ had set aside, Matthew 26, beginning with verse 27. He, he divided that juice and He said, Drink ye all of it, for this is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It's a powerful blood because it can cleanse the filth from our spiritual lives. It's able to cleanse anyone of any sin in this life but we have to be able to access it, right? John talked about walking in the light and having Christ's blood continually cleansing us or in the words of the writer of Hebrews, purging our sins. But Peter taught the exact same thing on the day of Pentecost. We look in Acts chapter 2 and he's delivering this wonderful sermon about the, the life of Christ and how He's Lord over all and and that at that very moment he was sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over his kingdom at that moment, even until today. And he talked about those who were in the audience, and some of them who were there were party to his murder. They were guilty of being a part of that. And then from the crowd this voice was lifted up, verse 37, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to know how to purge themselves from the sin that they had committed. They needed to get rid of the filth of this life. They needed to get themselves on the right track back to, back to heaven and doing what God wanted them to do. And then He told those listening, He said, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You know, His blood has the power to do that. We often sing a hymn written by William Cooper, and he speaks of a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty sins. That's what His blood can do for us, right? And without the blood of Jesus, we can't have that. So we have to come into contact with that blood. We have to understand there's a process by which we do that. Our faith in Jesus leads us to repentance, wanting that sin removed from our lives. That's uh, Paul called that godly sorrow. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we read Romans 6, 
verses 1 through 4, we understand that when we are the final act of becoming a Christian, immersed in water, we're baptized into the death of Christ, we come into contact with that soul-cleansing blood, spiritually. And then we rise up out of that water to walk in a new life. We're a different person, right? Without the blood of Jesus, we cannot do that. But we have to take advantage of that power. We have to accept it. When we consider Christ's priceless blood, we should be encouraged to live up to His standards. After all that He's done for us, can I put forth the effort? Can I try just a little bit harder? After all, He suffered unimaginable agony because of His great love. Now again, go back and think about... uh, how did we consider those people who, who flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center? I don't know that any of us, if we wanted to, to be honest with ourselves, at that very moment felt a great deal of love for those people. But God did. And that's how He felt when He came to earth and He lived among people. People murdered Him and mistreated Him and He felt a great love. That ought to make us want to do better. His blood is powerful because it can cleanse us, but it's powerful because it can change us. And that's what it takes to change us. When Jesus' blood is applied to the soul, the believer, it will be purged. And it will purge, the writer says, the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Our conscience is the part of us that allows us to discern between right and wrong. However, for that to happen, Our consciences must be properly trained. Paul lived in a good conscience toward all men and before God his whole life. He made that statement, Acts 23, verse 1. But do you know what he did prior to being a Christian and still living in a good conscience toward God? He murdered Christians. So we have to to train our conscience if we're going to, to live in the proper way. But when we allow the power of Jesus' blood to cleanse the sin from our lives, We will train our conscience and we will see a dramatic difference in our lives. God wants us to do that. When that happens, we read 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. He talks about the Christian graces, how they will develop in our lives. And and, uh, we add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And and he goes on and on and he talks about those. And it it seems at first glance that, well, let's work on our faith and then we'll work on our virtue. But... That word add comes from the word that we get our word, choreography. You do it all at one time. You choreograph it. You work on your knowledge and your virtue and your patience and all of those things at one time. And we continue to do that, right? What happens if we don't do that? Well, Peter said, we forget that we were purged from our old sins in the very next verse. So we don't want to forget that we're purged from our sins. We want to remember that we're different. Have you ever noticed as you read through the, the New Testament and the biographical accounts of Jesus that any time He came into contact with someone, that person left a changed individual in some way. Now they may have been changed in that their hatred for Christ was even greater than it was before. But often, those people changed their lives and followed after what Jesus wanted them to do. There's a story told about one of the Reformation leaders at one time was 
traveling across the country and he was leaving a service uh, on a Sunday morning and as he was walking across the countryside, a stranger approached him and when we got up close to him, he robbed him. Of course, he found out that he didn't have much money, had very little money, had some some literature with him and so we started to go and the Reformation leader uh, all of a sudden said, Stop! And it surprised the the young man. He said, I have something else for you. I'm sure he wasn't expecting that. He told the young man, he said, at some point you may live to regret this kind of a life, and if you ever do, just know that Jesus' blood can cleanse you from all sin. Now years later, he was in another area, and a wealthy, very successful businessman came up to him and began to talk to him, and he said, you don't remember me, but I robbed you many years ago, and I owe to you everything that I am today. And he said, you owe me nothing. You owe the priceless blood of Jesus. We need to understand that, don't we? We need to, to allow that to work in our lives. Jesus' blood is priceless. Christ's blood is priceless because it, it has the power to cleanse us and to change us. Right? It purchased something in a very personal way, in a very permanent way for us. But it's, it's priceless for one more reason. It's priceless because of what it promises. And that's our third point. The blood of Jesus promises freedom to those who would give themselves to the Savior. The writer of Hebrews speaks of redemption in Christ. It's a redemption that that comes through Jesus' blood to those who will allow their lives to be affected by it. He bought us back from from the sinfulness and the slavery of sin. That's what redemption means, right? The converted is given a brand new lease on life. We start all over again. That's why Christ called it the new birth, wasn't it? John 3, 3 through 7. The Christian who has been baptized into the death of Christ, killing the person of sin, comes up and walks in a new life and is, is on a new road, on a new track, doing the things God wants. And isn't it sad when a person does that, he... He gives himself to God and he recounts and he remembers as he studies through the Bible what all that Jesus did for him and when he didn't have to. And worldly thinking is that he shouldn't have. But he did. And then that person falls back into the world. Peter described it this way. He said, 2 Peter 2, beginning with verse 20, He said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed wallowing in the mire. Let me tell you why that's so sad. That's sad, and we're sad for the individual. We're sad for the person who who was at one time faithful and giving himself or herself to God and then going back into the world. But here's the person we ought to truly be sad for. Christ. Jesus. God. Have you ever done something for a child or for a friend or someone you thought was your friend and, and they turned around and they, they mistreated you? And how hurt you felt? Well, imagine that times a million, right? That's how Jesus 
feels. He looks down on his creation. He says, what more could I have given? I gave myself. That's why those in Macedonia were so honored by Paul. He said, they gave first themselves. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus' blood is priceless. It's priceless because it promises freedom and because it promises a future. And that future is an endless eternity in heaven. And that makes His blood priceless. When one obeys the the plan of salvation, they live a life of righteousness before God, we become joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verse 17. Notice how Peter comforted his readers. 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, one that is incorruptible, one that is undefiled, one that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. What a gift. We ought to honor that gift. And because of that, we... We have the assurance that we can have an eternal existence with God. We can be in in heavenly comfort with Him, John 14, 1 through 3. Now that's offered only to those who've been washed in the priceless blood of Jesus. He's the only way to the Father, John 14, verse 6. So we need to consider that. We need to always have that in our mind. The Bible is certainly a book about blood from the beginning to the end. We ought to concentrate on that. We ought to think all the time about the blood of Jesus. How are my actions in life? How do they portray me? Do they portray me as someone who understands that Jesus' blood is priceless or that His blood is common? We ought to always understand why it's priceless, right? For the things it does for us. For what it purchased, for its power, for its promises. And when we do that, we can know that we're saved as we walk in the light and have His blood continually cleanse us. 1 John 1, verse 7. To understand that the blood of Jesus is priceless, we first have to access that blood, right? We have to understand what it's all about. We talked about the plan of salvation. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. But God also made made a plan for when we make mistakes in this life. The, The Christian doesn't have to be immersed again. doesn't have to go down into the water. simply has to confess sin and repent of those sins and pray to God to forgive. And that may have to be done in a public manner, but it more often than not is done in a private manner depending on the sin. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.